Movie Date is supported by the Movie Music Stream at yourclassical.org. Soundtracks for every moment of the day and features that complement your listening experience. Movies at yourclassical.org. Rafer, you brought in something very special today to the studio. Yes, it's a it's a mystical, magical, powerful object. It's very shiny and round. Mm-hmm. Is that crystal? It's on a little black stand. <laughs> it's my crystal ball. <laughs> That's because we're going to be looking ahead to everything in the coming weeks in the movie theaters, specifically with the summer blockbusters and with all the books that are going to be adapted to film. That's right. We're going to take a look at what's coming during this summer. We're going to pick the movies that we think look the most promising, the movies that we're the most excited about. And then we're also going to have Tom Beer. He is the books editor at Newsday and the new president of the National Book Critics Circle, he's going to tell us what books we should be reading now before they're turned into movies. But before we do that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday, and this is Movie Day. All right, Rafer. We each, we, we were so good. We limited ourselves to only three movies apiece that we're going to be talking about that we're most excited about that are coming out this summer. And let's do these in the order that they're going to be released, shall All right. we? Let's. All right. So our first picks, both you and I have picks that come out on May 15th. Is that right? Yes, we do. So, oh, I know what yours is. Oh, do you now? I know what yours is because you're a boy. And you know what mine is because I'm a girl. You're a girl. Oh, God. Are we playing to type? All right. You go first, Kristen. Right. So the first movie I'm going to talk about on my list, you know what? I'm just going to play a clip and I think you'll know what this is. Girls, you know you better watch out. I am so excited. They're back, Pitches. Yes, they are. Pitch Perfect 2, Rebel Wilson, Anna Kendrick, Brittany Snow, the whole gang of girls, the acapella, throwdown, smackdown, girl singing group. This time they're going to be going up against some German singers. They're going to be on the world stage. And we have Elizabeth Banks back again as the acapella commentator. We have have so much fun that's going to happen, and especially singing. Reworkings of great pop songs, reworkings of horrible pop songs, cute outfits, (laughs) camaraderie, friendship. Oh, I'm so excited for this, Rafer. This is May 15th. Boy, this has you written all over it. And you know what? It's also got me written all over it because it's not your pick, which is also out on May 15th. That's right. Um, My pick, of course, of course my pick is Mad Max Fury Road. George Miller coming back for the first time in 30 years, I think. Wow. Returning to the old franchise that started off with Mel Gibson and this time no Mel Gibson. Instead, it's Tom Hardy in the title role. And Charlize Theron. And Char- Charlize Theron. Let's see if I can get the name of her character right. I think it's Imperator Furiosa. Oh, rolls off the tongue. You just got to love that. Also, Nicholas Holt seems to be playing some kind of, oh, I love uh, him. Some kind of disfigured zombie type uh, in this film. Here's a clip. Out here, everything hurts. You want to get through this? Do as I say. 
Now pick up what you can and run. Very dramatic sounding. Everything hurts out here, Kristen. Everything hurts. You're in a desert. There's no water. No water. I'm no pro- no I'm gas. I'm doing things like dancing with machine guns and fighting with chainsaws. That's and I'm probably wearing outfits that are made out of metal. That's exactly what you're doing. And well, you should, because it's the apocalypse in Mad Max. <laughs> and that's what happens. Um, I don't know if you remember in uh, SpongeBob SquarePants movie, uh, someone starts screaming about the apocalypse after all the Krabby Patties go missing. And someone says, oh, that'll never happen. And then instantly the entire film turns into Mad Max. Everyone's wearing crazy outfits and leather chaps and uh, giant crazy masks, Um, which I think shows you how indelible the Mad Max franchise is. It's one of my favorites. The Road Warrior is still one of the best movies ever made. This film looks a little bit like a rehash of The Road Warrior. Whether that will be a good thing or not, I don't know. The special effects look... Uh, kind of wildly stylized, almost Robert Rodriguez uh, in a way. And, um, you know, there's that uh, strange classical music back- background, yes. uh, the, the, uh, the operatic theme. It looks a little all over the map. I'm very excited to see if George Miller will be able to tie it all together and bring it into coherence or whether it will just be a complete uh, disaster. I don't know. I don't care. I'm there. I'm in that seat to watch this movie. All right. Wow. We're going to be sitting side by side in different theaters again on another date, (laughs) June 5th. Yes. What's your pick for June 5th? June 5th is a little comedy with a fantastic actress who I just love, a comedic actress, Melissa McCarthy. It's a spy movie. It's called Spy. Here's a clip. Why are you being so nice to me? can't just be because I remind you of some sad Bulgarian clown. You remind me of my mother. Oh. Really? You know that. I mean, you and I are... You and I are pretty close in age. You're funny. It's the Bulgarian clown in you. Okay. <laughs> so excited for this movie. Rose Byrne and Melissa McCarthy together again. And, you know, I, I'm just a big Melissa McCarthy fan. You know As that. am I. As am I. And I also just think that any time we can have more women in cop roles and action movies and, you know, anything like that. And, and I think Melissa McCarthy is actually the ultimate undercover spy because she kind of just blends in if you want her to. I mean... Yes, she's bombastic and ridiculous True. and just does goofy physical humor. But she also, if you're going to have a spy, you don't actually want a spy that looks like Angelina Jolie that everyone's going to notice when they walk in the room. Right, like in The Tourist. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's like Salt. she walks in the room and everyone's like, ooh, hello. Where, whereas, you know, <laughs> Melissa McCarthy walks on you, you might think, oh, that's a nice lady or that's a pretty lady, but you're not going to be distracted by her. Could be. Could yeah. be. And so I think it's very brilliant casting. I don't know very much about this movie other than she's involved in a spy operation. And that's enough for me. Melissa McCarthy is a spy. That's all I need to know. Good casting in this also with um, Jude Law and Jason Statham. Yeah. uh, Also part of the cast. That's fine, but I care more about Melissa McCarthy. No, I hear you. I hear you. No, uh, I'm a little skeptical of this one, but I hope it's it's a good one. Uh, Okay, you're right. My pick also comes out on June 5th. It's Love and Mercy. This is going to be a good one, I think. You think so? Or a bad one. I mean, I'm I'm excited for it. I hear you. It's a biopic of Brian Wilson. And uh, here's the clincher for you. Paul Dano plays him as a younger man. John Cusack plays him as an older man. Uh, Here's a clip. I'm going to make the greatest album ever made. Got all kinds of new ideas, new sounds, new instruments. I may not always love you. You can't just do whatever you want, Brian. I got different stuff inside me. I gotta get it out. And you should know Brian is a very sick man. That voice at the end you're hearing there is Paul Giamatti as Eugene Landy, 
who um, Brian Wilson fans will know was the kind of uh, spiritual advisor slash guru slash slave driver that uh, sort of took over Brian's life in his uh, later years when he was uh, depressive. Um, some some jury is still out for many people on Eugene Landy, although I would say uh, the movie probably is not going to paint him in the most favorable light. I, uh, as you and I, Kristen, uh, are always saying we're very, very skeptical of biopics. Mm, and and yeah. this one does look like it's going to do what we always dislike, which is take the full gamut of a person's life and try to squeeze it in two hours. But I do think if you've got this even split of the pinnacle of Brian Wilson's genius in the 1960s, the mid-60s, and then seeing him later, uh, the second half of his life, when he when he spirals into depression and then manages a, a really stunning turnaround, um, a kind of a kind of a wobbly but successful turnaround, that could work. And both those actors are really great, and so I'm really intrigued by this film. Yeah, I am too, and I'm just a huge Beach Boys fan. Me too. I mean, it's... Oh. God, I love those Beach Boys. Me love too. Them. The love music them. is just the music is just unstoppable, and it's in the movie, as you can hear. Yeah. All right. So our next pick is um, coming out on July first, close to America's birthday. It's mm-hmm. called Magic Mike. And is there any better way to say Happy Birthday, America, than a bunch of men without clothes on? <laughs> I don't think so. I do not think so. And you know, Rafer, this has the greatest actor in American history, according to you, because you just freaking love this guy. Channing Tatum. Yes, you think he can act. Yes. Yes, he can. <laughs> Damn it, he can. I loved the first Magic Mike, as Me you know. Me too. And I, I mean, it, it's much darker than you'd expect. I think a lot of people are like, oh, that's great. He's so sexy and he's dancing and, and it's comedic. It's male strippers. But, you know, it actually, it had, it had a real dark side to yeah, it. Yeah, it was Saturday Night Fever for a new generation, I think. Yeah, well, there aren't really much in the way of available clips yet for this movie because all of the teasers and so on that have been released are mostly just Magic Mike and his coworkers <laughs> taking off their clothes. Magic Mike welding. Magic. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Here, here's what I could find. Nice to meet you. Magic. Magic Mike. All about that base. Yeah, that's clearly a situation where we don't need to hear this movie. We just need to see this movie. Use your imagination. Magic Mike, too. Actually, I I think the proper title is Magic Mike Double XL. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Steven Soderbergh back to direct as well. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with this one. I'm keeping my fingers crossed because I really love the first one. As am I. Uh, All right. On a slightly more serious note, I'm going to end with my pick, which is The Wolf Pack, a documentary that was a big hit at Sundance coming out on June 12th. Um, The story here is uh, Crystal Moselle, the filmmaker, was walking down the street and she saw a group of kids, uh, brothers all apparently, because they were all they all looked very much alike and they were all dressed exactly like the guys in Reservoir Dogs. They all had uh, the shirts and the skinny ties, jackets and the sunglasses. She stopped them, got to talking with them, and discovered that they were brothers. Um, they'd all been living essentially in their apartment, uh, almost never allowed to leave the house, and they were homeschooled. And uh, over the course of their young lives had spent m- most of their time watching roughly 5,000 films. So she incredibly got access to these guys, spoke to their parents, who uh, I think we'd all like to speak to. Yeah. Why and, are your kids not allowed to leave the house? <laughs> exactly. Why are you raising them watching violent action movies? Exactly. How do five kids in a Lower East Side apartment not kill each other? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, one of the uh, plot developments, so to speak, in this documentary is that uh, one of the brothers escapes. Oh, wow. Here's a clip. 
This outfit is made out of cereal boxes and yoga mats. That's a yoga mat, and the hard part you see is uh, cardboard from cereal boxes. When we do it, I have to get in the mind of the character. I have to be as strong as I can be to play Batman, because it's a responsibility, sort of. That sounds pathetic to some people, because... But to us and to our world, it is very uh, personal. This movie just sounds completely fascinating to me. Oh, what a yeah. story. Bizarre. The, these guys are just, like, living their life as characters in movies, it sounds like. And right. It just sounds like nothing else out there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't know about the escaping subplot. Yes. I didn't know about that. I, I just knew about these kids are all trapped in this weird world and acting out their lives by being superheroes. But, wow. Yes. <laughs> It sounds amazing. So that comes out June 12th. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see that film. That's called The Wolf Pack. That's right. So that's our roundup of uh, summer picks. That, that's, the, that's the most interesting stuff we think is coming out this summer. But stay with us because after the break, we're going to be talking with somebody who knows a little bit about books and a little bit about movies and the movies that are going to be made out of some books. Stay with us. Movie Date is supported by Casper. Looking for a better night's rest? Consider Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by selling direct and passing the savings on to you. Casper mattresses are obsessively engineered with two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, that come together for just the right sink and just the right bounce. And they know that lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom doesn't mean it's the right bed for you. They understand the importance of truly trying out a mattress that, in all reality, you spend a third of your life on. So they offer a 100-day risk-free trial and painless return policy. Casper mattresses are made in America at a fair price, ranging from $500 to $950. And today, you can save an additional $50 by going to casper.com slash moviedate and entering promo code moviedate. That's casper.com slash moviedate and entering promo code M-O-V-I-E-D-A-T-E. Casper mattresses for better nights and brighter days. Movie Date is supported by the Movie Music Stream at yourclassical.org, a new site for expertly curated streams, unique programs, and relevant features to promote calm and focus. Click to discover a soundtrack for every moment of your day, whether it's filled with adventure, romance, intrigue, or quiet contemplation. Find a steady stream for your epic scenes with movies at yourclassical.org. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. Kristen, do you ever feel like when a movie comes out, you only find out just then that it was a massive bestseller? Oh, I find that out all the time because I'm not very hip. Well, I'm, but I'm you, super not hip. You read more than I do, but I, I just feel like... Well, you're a dad and I'm in a book club. <laughs> that explains everything <laughs> well, that about explains us right there. I'm in a book club everything. and you're a dad. Yeah, that explains everything. That's our everything. Whole lives right there. Well, I just feel like every time you see a movie, and it's, sometimes it's sometimes it's movies that you know come from a book. Sometimes it's movies you have no idea came from a book. Like, for instance, the movie that we reviewed a while back called Home. I don't think anyone even knew that that movie was a, a book in the first place. I didn't know until you told me that. Exactly. I had no idea. And sometimes I think it's better not to know it was a book first because frequently when you find out it's a book, you're like, oh, I'm going to read that book. And then, no, 
No, well, you read the book and then you go and you see the movie and then you're sad. That's, you're very sad and you're very disappointed. That's a question, but I think if you like to be on the, I think if you like to be ahead of the curve, you want to know what's coming. You want to know what's coming down the pike. You want to know which of these books are being made into movies. Which of these books should I read now? And so with us today, Kristen, is Tom Beer. He is my colleague, the books editor at Newsday, and he is also the newly crowned president of the National Book Critics Circle. No So fancy. No regional no regional critics association this. We're talking about the National Book Critics Circle. Tom Beer is gonna give us five books that we should read now that are coming to the big screen eventually. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rafer. Thank you, Kristen. It's a pleasure to be here. I left my crown at home, but uh... Oh okay. All right. <laughs> next time. Next time. Absolutely. Well, um, like you guys were saying, there's so many uh, times you see a movie and you say, I wish I had known that that was a book. And then you're scrambling to, to read it before, you know, before the film comes out. So these are some books that you can read now. The movies are forthcoming. They may be coming this year. They may be coming a little bit later. Um, the first one is a book that a lot of people may know about, and that's The Girl on the Train by mm. Paula Hawkins. It has been a big bestseller this year. Um, it came out in England last year. It's a, it's a thriller. It's sort of a Hitchcockian story about a woman who's unemployed, riding on the train, uh, the commuter train in London, and spying on people, essentially, that she sees out the window of the train and starting to imagine lives for them and then finding herself sucked into uh, a mystery involving one of the, the, the women that she sees who disappears. And, and she's kind of a troubled character herself, the, the, the narrator, right? A little bit of an alcoholic who's had some challenges in her personal life. I, I know this because our, our book club, we just finished reading this like two days ago. So you are, you are hip. You are hip, Kristen. <laughs> and how did the book club like it? We all really loved it. We totally got sucked in by it. And uh, the, the main character is this wonderful mix of a hot mess, but you can't help but kind of like her at the same time, which I think is a tough balancing act to get both of those in there and she's she's really that character do you know who's going to play her tom it hasn't been cast yet the thing's been acquired by dreamworks so you know it will be a big movie yep. uh, when and if it comes out but as of right now there's no director there's no cast attached to it this is very new i mean this book was just published in january in the united states oh okay and so these things happen so quickly now sometimes before a book has even hit the bookstore shelves it has already been optioned for the movies right and this is a perfect example. Okay, so that's The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. Uh, next up, a book called Americana. Tell us about this one, Tom. This is a fantastic book. This was actually the National Book Critics Circle um, made this our top fiction book last year, 2014. It won the Fiction Prize. Uh, Chimamanda Adichie is a Nigerian and American writer, very talented, young um, this is her, uh, I think it's her third novel. Oh, okay. And it's about um, uh, two Nigerian immigrants, one who comes to the United States, one who goes to England. It's a love story. They were lovers when they were young in Nigeria, and then life kind of s sends them on separate routes. And it follows her primarily. Uh, Ephemelu is the character. And believe it or not, this has got a dream cast. It's going to be Lupita uh, Nyong'o. Love her yep, so much. That's right. And... And she's going to be cast as the main character. And it is, it's a wonderful it's, – it's a love story, but it's also kind of a social satire about race in America. It's about immigration. It's about homesickness. This book has got everything, and it will make a fabulous movie. I'm really curious to see how this is going to do with American audiences, though, because uh, a lot of stories of black immigrants on film, you know – don't necessarily become blockbusters in the U.S. That's so totally I'll, true. I'll be very curious to see how well it does. But with this cast, 
Who knows? And this has been picked up by uh, Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt's production company. Is that right? Who did 12 Years a Slave, Plan right. B. So there's real muscle behind it. Right, right. Okay, so we're definitely seeing that one at some point. Let's talk about Beautiful Ruins mm. because this is written by Jess Walter, who I actually you know, discovered maybe seven years ago or so when he wrote a book about the recession that I got totally sucked in by called The Financial Lives of the Poets. And it's about somebody who used to work in the financial markets who decides to leave it all to become a, a poet who writes about the financial markets instead. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so tell us about this. This book is uh, – this was made to be a Hollywood movie really because it's partly about Hollywood. It opens on the coast of Italy in the 1960s and an actress who's been on the set of Cleopatra in Rome, the famous flop with yep. Richard Burton and Liz Taylor yep. that tons of money was spent on and it just didn't do well. Anyway, this young actress has had an affair with Richard Burton on the set and has fled to this tiny Italian fishing village. She believes she's sick. We may find out otherwise later. Um, and it starts there, and she falls in love with the young Italian hotel keeper in that village. And it basically follows their lives and spins out from their lives. You get to know her son. You get to know the Hollywood producer who was involved in Cleopatra. And it spans from Italy to Scotland to uh, Hollywood. And it's romantic, but it's also very, very funny. It's a great satire of Hollywood. And it's a real crowd pleaser. Did, did the book club lo love that book too, Kristen? <laughs> <laughs> We haven't read it yet, but okay. it is on our short list. But I do know the movie has uh, Imogene Poots in it. And am I pronouncing her last name right? I think that's right. I say Poots. Okay, Poots. Yeah, and I think she's adorable. All the movies I see her and I'm just like, oh, she is adorable. But And, and the director is uh, going to be Todd Field, who did In the Bedroom. Yes, right? yeah. yes. So uh, that sounds pretty good. I will uh, just to throw a little cold water on this. My wife could not finish Beautiful Ruins. Oh, <laughs> Hold on, Tom, Just to bring the like room it? down for but, a minute. But, Tom, you liked this book. Uh, this was actually one of our at Newsday. It was one of our top books of 2012, I think was the year. Um, to me, it's, it's so beautifully written, and he can do anything. He, he, can, he can do Italy in the 1960s. He can do contemporary Hollywood. And it's one of those rare books that's both funny but also very deeply felt. The ending, to mm. me, is beautiful and It'll be a tearjerker at uh -huh. the end, for sure. Oh, then you uh -huh. know I'm going to love it. I love to cry. <laughs> you do, Kristen. I do love to cry so much. <laughs> All right, so here's another interesting one that you put down, Tom. It's called Euphoria by Lily King, and I'm not familiar with this book at all. Yeah. This is a book, again, published last year. Um, she's This is like her fourth or fifth book. She's a writer from Maine, not terribly well-known, no relation to Stephen King, another okay. main writer, and she doesn't <laughs> yeah. have anywhere near his book sales. But she is fantastic, and a lot of people discovered her with this book, Euphoria, that is based on the story of Margaret Mead, the anthropologist. When she was doing her field work in Papua New Guinea in the 1930s, she was there with her husband, and she falls in love with another anthropologist in the field. So it is a love triangle, um, but it is also a book about anthropology and about science and about doing your work and having the euphoria she describes that, that gives you the title is when you sort of make a breakthrough in the field and start to understand a culture. Um, and it's very temporary because life throws more cold water on you and you, and you don't understand them as well as you thought you did. But it's, it, you feel like you're in Papua New Guinea when you read this book. You f you're sweaty. You're being bitten by mosquitoes. <laughs> it's nice to read it and not have, have to actually be there. Right. But it's, it is, it, it's cinematic when you read it, and so I can just see how it's going to be a fantastic movie. 
I want to clarify something, Tom. Is this um, is this book about a Margaret Mead type, or is this book about Margaret Mead? It is. It is a type. It okay. is a fictionalized mm. character. She's she's taken from Margaret Mead's biography. Okay. But she's you know she's fictionalized it. She's definitely embroidered. She definitely in many places changes the story altogether. But it was a st- jumping off point for her. right because Margaret Mead did have a pretty complicated yeah. romantic life, right? Several husbands and possibly a couple of female lovers Absolutely. as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So she she really she she read about Margaret Mead. She read Coming of Age in Samoa, and mm-hmm. it just got her brain spinning. And she she started to write this novel, and then she felt free to just take it where she wanted to. And the director for this one is going to be Michael Apted. Yes. Is that right? The English yes. director. I just love him. Great English director. I'm so into Coal Miner's Daughter. Coal Miner's yeah. Daughter. That's one right. One of my favorites. And the 7 Up series, that well, documentary series, which is just unbelievable. Those those things are amazing. And it's it's amazing. He's been doing them for so long. Um, and he also did uh, Gorillas in the Mist with uh, Sigourney Weaver as Diane Fossey. So I, I wonder if that's maybe where they, where they decided <laughs> to give this one to Michael Apted. Uh, but that sounds really good. Okay. Last but not least... Dark Places by who else but Gillian Flynn of, of Gone Girl of fame. Gone Girl. So uh, now, t- people may be tired of the whole Gone Girl Gillian <laughs> Flynn thing by now. But tell us, tell us, Tom, what's happening with this book? All right. Well, this is an earlier book of hers. So obviously, Gone Girl was a huge success. They've gone back and looked at her backlist. She has two previous books. Right. And uh, many people like this book better than Gone Girl. Okay. I- I'm not sure I would go out on that limb. Oh, but I-, I like it better. I'm oh, one, see, of them. Uh, I'm see, one here, of them. Here comes here's the battle for the bragging rights over over <laughs> over Gillian Flynn. I, I I liked her before she was cool. <laughs> I liked her when she had her first album. Uh, okay, so and what's the plot of this novel? This is about a woman who essentially, when she was a young girl, her family was was murdered, and she, as a child, points the finger at her brother, and he is sent away to to jail. Whoa. Years later, she comes into contact with a group of sort of conspiracy theory and true crime nuts who are calling into question that that was what actually happened. And she herself gets sucked into the investigation as an adult. Um, ah. It's Charlize Theron is going to produce it and also star in it. So oh, there's some real star power there. And, I mean, it's a gimme, right? I mean, everybody right. who read Gone Girl is going to go see this movie. Of course. And do you know if she's going to write the screenplay as well, like she did with Gone Girl? I don't know. I don't know. I would be surprised if she didn't. I feel like she must be one of the hotter power players in Hollywood right now. Yeah. Right? I actually think the movie was more streamlined in the plot, Gone Girl. You know, the, the, she kept yes. it a little more trim as well. Mm. She should have. And so I'll be curious what she does with Dark Places. But I do have a question, yes. Tom. Yes. Do you like to read the books and then see the movies, or do you like to create a break for yourself of many years between the books and the movies coming out so there can be some space and the expectations might be lowered? Or how do you how do you as a books editor go about watching movies adapted from books? Yeah, I mean, I would almost never rush to the theater right after. Like, I'm not one of those people who scrambles to read the book before the movie comes. I, I take them as separate things, you know. Mm-hmm. They're separate experiences. They're different. I love both movies and books. And so um, I don't get hung up on having read the book first, nor do I feel I have to wait five years to let it sort of die down in my brain. Um, But usually it's very rare that I'll read the book and immediately go see the movie. That doesn't happen too often. It seems to me that uh, at at this point in time, it it, it seems like Movie rights are being sold either at the same time that the book is being published or with that deal. It's a package deal or they're, they're being snapped up before the book even gets 
to the shelves. I mean, for instance, um, this teen film that Kristen, you and I reviewed a couple weeks ago, The Duff, uh, which was based on a book. And and when the studio got the book, it was just a, a galley. It was just 100 pages of the book. In fact, I don't think the book had even been finished completely. And yet they sold, they sold the rights to the movie and then the movie came out. She it's, was 17. She was that's right. That's right. The author was 17. Uh, she was writing it after school. Um, and I love that movie. But uh, do you feel like uh, this idea, this idea that what you're hoping for is not just to see your, your book hit the shelves, but also see it hit the screen. Do you feel like that is actually affecting the prose in the novels that you read? Do you feel like the novels themselves are being written now like Hollywood, potentially Hollywood films? You know, it's funny. You often start reading something and you're like, I can see the script in my head. The yeah. dialogue <laughs> is there on the page. You, It sort of strikes you. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that. I mean, yeah. I, I feel I like a cinematic book. Like with Euphoria, I feel that book it was cinematic in the way she wrote it. But she, you know, she wasn't didn't have any expectation of having that thing adapted as a film. She just wrote that way. That's and just it, her style, you exactly. Think. And it, it lent itself to it. But you know, there's books. There was a science fiction book that came out a couple of years ago, Robopocalypse. I remember it. Yes, that, of course, I arri- read it. It arrived on my desk saying Spielberg had already yes, optioned it. That's right. And before he had even, you know, I, I think before the book was finished, I think it was based on 100 pages. And that was, was that was one of those, I think he was one of these kind of internet guys, right, who yeah. had published a blog or self-published it in some way. Yes. Right, yes. And so in that case, I immediately feel cynical. Maybe I need to set aside my judgment, but but I worry that the book as a book isn't going to be satisfying in its own right. That book, that book was horrible, by the way. That, yes. that book is just complete junk. And we may argue... never see the movie. And we may never see the movie. You're right. That was several years ago. But I would argue that some of the worst books make the best movies. I think that, you know, we don't need a great book to make it a great movie. Some of the best movies out there, like one of my favorites is Devil Wears Prada, as far as a horrible, horrible book. Is it really? I've yeah, never read it. It's, like, it's supposed to be kind of a gossip book about Anna Winter and that whole right. world of fashion. But it's written on maybe a second grade level, terrible <laughs> sentence structure. I'm not surprised if there are a bunch of misspellings in it. Tom is nodding his head. It's just absolutely a horrific painful, torturous read, and yet the movie is like a modern classic now. It was now. a completely charming film. I so love that movie. So enjoyable. Just love that movie. Well, any book will be improved by having Meryl Streep in the adaptation. That's so. a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, uh, would you agree with that, Tom, that sometimes the worst books make the best movies? You know, I think it's totally true because essentially it's, it's you know, the movie is its own thing. I mean, the screenwriter gets involved and right. it's really, it's often reconceived, I think, when it when it becomes a movie. And so... It's not necessarily a case of a great book. You know, certainly there's plenty of classics that people have struggled to make good movies out of. Anna Karenina. Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby. I don't think they've done Gatsby right yet. I thought the last one came fairly close. But I do also kind of feel like that's a book that that probably will never be made into a movie properly. And people will probably still try. Yes. 15, 20 years from now, there might be another one. But yeah. And you were saying, Tom, that you feel like maybe short stories – is a good way to go when you're adapting a film. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes with a novel, especially a longer novel, there is so much stuff to pack into two, two and a half hours that it, it, it becomes a challenge to edit the thing to sort of compress it. And uh, two movies, we talked about Todd Field earlier, In the Bedroom, to me, is a perfect example. That's right. It's based on a story by Andre Debus. Um, it's economical, it's dramatic, it has a small cast, 
I think it works extremely well as a story, but it also was a really fantastic movie, it was a great successful movie. Yeah. movie. That's that's one example. Another one is is the movie that Sarah Polly made several years ago, away from her. I agree. Oh yes, both the short story and the film are amazing. It's it's an Alice Munro story who just won the Nobel Prize last year. Canadian uh-huh. short story writer, famous for her short stories. She hardly ever writes novels. About a woman who has Alzheimer's and her husband, uh, Julie Christie plays plays the woman. Sarah Polly made a beautiful movie out of this story yes. and uh, there's no diminishment of it whatsoever people should read the story too because it's a great story yeah i see and that's short it's easy to read yeah and the, i think the short story is actually called the bear came over the mountain and, that's it is. yes yeah. that's right um but it's really beautiful and much more complicated than you'd expect it's not just the story of someone whose mind is diminishing it's about a lot of messed up things and relatable things about a marriage too so, yes yeah it's really great all right, so that's a that's a pretty good list. So that's your list of, of what to read now so that you can be the guy at the cocktail party or the girl at the <laughs> cocktail party who has already read that book when it comes out. Uh, we've been joined here by Tom Beer. He's the books editor at Newsday, and he is the president of the National Book Critics Circle. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Rafer. Thanks, Kristen. All right, Rafer, before we go, as usual, we must do some trivia. We cannot end this show without some trivia. So, Rafer, remind us, last week, what did we ask our folks out there? Well, last week we've been talking about the uh, internet-obsessed horror film Unfriended that took place all on one girl's laptop Macintosh computer screen. And uh, that got us thinking about other movies that involved the internet, that, where the internet was a central part of the film. We went back a ways and we found this clip. So what's his handle? Uh... I'm not going to write him. Is that what you're worried about? You think I'm going to email him? All right, NY152. NY152, 152. He's 152 years old. The number of people who think he looks like Clark Gable. 152 people who think he looks like a Clark Barr. (laughs) We asked you to name that movie, and lo and behold, you did. Here's the right answer. My name's Tamara Plummer. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And I'm calling about this week's trivia question, which is basically Sleepless in Seattle plus AOL, also called You've Got Mail. And I expect to be more challenged next time, my friend. More challenging. Bye. Great job. Oh, that AOL messenger. (laughs) (laughs) I want to use that computer for what they call the online dating there. The the online dating. (laughs) You've got mail. That's right. An internet classic at this point, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's so dated. It's it's terribly dated. (laughs) That's true. All right. For this week's trivia question, in honor of summer blockbuster season, we're going to play a clip of a movie that is turning 40 this year that some people might say is the mother of all summer blockbusters. Here's the clip. What's that one? What? That one there, on your arm. Oh, it's a tattoo. I got that removed. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Mother. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? Tupa, that's the USS Indianapolis... (laughs) If you know that movie. And if you don't, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> but if you do, give us a call. 5717 Movies. You can also send us a message at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. Off duty fortune teller, sitting by the side of the river. 
She got no beads, no crystal ball, no umbrella.